All right, I entitled today's message, The Most Loving Thing You Can Do. And in preparation for that, we were firing out to you on your app. If you don't have the app, you probably missed this, but we were firing out a poll. A couple different questions would pop up on your phone and you would answer them. We know that at least over a thousand of you got that notification. If you're not getting that, by all means, join in on that. But we were prepping for this message. So we asked you a number of questions and I wanna give you the results of that poll if you weren't following along on that. So here's what we asked you. First question. Did you become a Christian through a significant relationship or friend? Uh, 57% of you said yes, 43% of you said no. Now here's the problem. Some of you didn't answer the question right. How do we know that? Well, because we said, if you didn't, how did you learn about the Lord? And you said, well, I grew up in church. Your parents brought you. Okay, now I don't know in your relationship with your parents, but parents are a big deal. They gave you life, right? So they are significant. I don't, I don't want to be the only voice here telling you that. But mom and dad matter. That's all I'm trying to tell you. Okay. So yes, you did become a Christian through a significant person. Your parents brought you to church. All right. So clearly we didn't understand the question. But some of you said, no, no, no. God orchestrated some circumstances that drew me to him personally. Some of you heard about the gospel on the radio. And some of you had miraculous encounters with the Lord directly. Uh, If you were led to the Lord by someone that was a significant relationship with you, who was it? Most of you said parents. Some said a childhood friend or a neighbor brought you to church. Uh, Who has the most spiritual influence over you? Meaning who is the primary authority? Uh, Some of you said your spouse in the Lord. Some of you said a pastor or a parent or a mentor. And then last question, we said, why did you decide to come to Bridgeway for the first time? 43% of you said a friend brought you. 21% a family member brought you, which means 64% of us were brought by family and friends. Uh, 19% had heard me preach somewhere or had heard me on the radio and came in. 17% found our church online or through social media. Now, the reason why we brought all those numbers up was we wanted to see if we were in line with national averages. Uh, In my studies for my doctoral program, we had to read a lot of statistics and, and analysis and stuff like that. And I found it surprising nationally 47% of people who hear the gospel are led to the Lord by a trusted friend or family member. We are way over that average, right? There's that, here's the deal. With all the bombardment of ideas in the world, you need someone you can trust that can help you cut through and find out what is legitimate, right? That's really the heart of it. But one thing that I did learn in my studies that was a little surprising to me was, can anybody guess the average age of a person who gives their life to Christ? Anybody know the average, not, not, not the youngest or not the oldest, but what's the average age that people get saved? 25? 27. 15, what was the other one? 12, 33. All right, 15 and a half. 15 and a half is the average age which is interesting because any, um, listen to this, 60% of all Christians in the United States got saved before 20 years old. Uh, 54% of them out of that 60, meaning uh, instead of the 60, they're all under 18. Now, once again, that tells you two things. One, if you wanna see the power of ministry, you need to be in youth ministry or children's ministry, right? Because that's where people are coming to know Christ left and right. But what makes it sad is on the other side, I would hope that it's not true that once you become 20, you're locked and that nobody is sharing the Lord with you anymore, 
right? Because when you're young, people have a tendency to share the Lord with you. All of a sudden, we get quieter the older we get. And we stop sharing it with our friends and our family. We just assume everybody already knows. I don't think that that is fair. I don't think that's good. I don't think that's healthy. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk a little bit about how we share our faith. Uh, the most loving thing you can do is share your Jesus with somebody. So I got a quick, uh, we're going to do some show of hands things to kind of take an inside poll here as we kind of find out where we're at. All right, here we go. First question. I got four of them. How many of us have led someone personally to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in a prayer or conversation? Raise your hand. Okay, that's a lot of you. That's pretty rare, by the way. So that, that's quite a, quite a lot of you. Some of us think that's the only form of evangelism. That is not, but it is beautiful. Second question. How many of us have talked about how good God has been to you personally with your family and friends? Anybody talk about how good God is? All right. Do you know that's evangelism too? Yeah, okay, so praise God, that was a lot of us. How many of us have close family members who are not believers? Anybody got family members that are not believers? Yeah, a lot of us. And then uh, hopefully this last one is all of us. How many of us have friends who do not yet know the Lord? Okay. All right, so it's really important. So here's my big question. Uh, why don't we share the Lord more with those that we love? Because if I took an individual poll with you and said, what is the single most important factor of your life? You'd probably say Jesus. But if he is the cornerstone of your life, why in the world would we not want someone else to have that same cornerstone? The number one transformative thing in your life, why wouldn't we share it? Well, usually that is because of one of two reasons. It is usually fear or apathy, right? Fear or apathy. A lot of us are afraid to share our faith. What I'm hoping is that in today's message, that weight that is upon your shoulders lifts right off. I don't think that we need to have any fear or trepidation to share our faith because I believe it's going to be the most natural thing that you could possibly do. I think we have some misnomers about it. We have some misconceptions about it that I would like to clear up. But let me ask you this. What's your plan then? If you're not going to share with your friends and family, who is? Are you hoping that the Lord just kind of scoops them up magically? Are you hoping that maybe another person will share the faith? they're still gonna come back to you. Why? You're the trusted family member. You're the trusted friend. You're the safe one. So they should come back to you, right, to be able to ask. So are you prepared to even talk about your Lord? This is really what I wanted to dig into. Now, we're gonna do an exercise, so I need you to take out, and I don't mean like jumping jacks, I mean <laughs> writing, right? Uh, good Lord, we don't wanna do exercise. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead. Can you take out your uh, handout sheet that was given to you at the front door? There's some room to take some notes and I need you to grab a pen. There should be a pen in the seat in front of you unless the last person stole it. All right, which is possible. That's cool. Praise the Lord. All right, here we go. Now we're going to do an exercise and, and you're going to start it right now, but you're going to continue it through the whole time I'm preaching. So you can also take this on your phone. You can write notes on your phone if you're more digital. Um, but Here's what I would like you to do. I want you to write down the names of all of your family and friends or close people to you that do not know the Lord. Now, hold on. Otherwise, we'd be here forever, right? We're, we're going to exclude people like Uncle Vernon from Jersey, stuff like that, right? Here's why. Because they have to live within 20-mile radius of your home or 20-mile radius of the church, that's going to limit the list, and I'll tell you in a little while why we're doing it that way, but I would like you to write down everyone that's within 20-mile radius 
that does not yet know the Lord, but that you care about them, that God has put them upon your heart. I want you to start writing those names down. And as I'm preaching out, every time you think of another one, I want you to write them down. At the end of the service, we're gonna do something special with those names. And so it's much more interesting if you engage with it that way. All right, let me just share this as we get into God's word. Christianity went from a remote place in the world, a very small section of a very small nation named Israel, and it went worldwide in 350 years. That's crazy. I don't know if you've ever studied marketing or anything, but it's really hard to get something to go viral, especially when people are not connected like they are today. There's no technology. There was writing letters was about as advanced as we had got, and yet it became the world-dominant influence. How do we know that? Well, in the middle of the 300s, it was called, I'm not going to say it was, I'm going to say it was called the official religion of the Holy Roman Empire, which at that time was world-dominating. So it went from obscurity to worldwide phenomenon in 350 years by word of mouth. That is crazy. As a matter of fact, it didn't stop there. The 2015 statistics show that Christianity is still the largest world religion at 2.3 billion. It has approximately half a billion more adherents than the 1.8 billion Muslims. That means 2,000 years later, it's still the dominant religion of the entire world. Now, I'm not telling you all those people love Jesus. I'm not telling you all those people are following him. What I'm telling you is that the concept of a Judeo-Christian thought would be the box they would check as opposed to any other religion in the world, including atheism. It is a massive dominant force wrecking out for 2,000 years, and it's still dominant. How does that happen? Word of mouth. I'm going to show you how it all started. Would you turn with me to John chapter 1? John chapter 1, verse 29. It is page 886 in the Bible under the seat in front of you. 886. John chapter 1, verse 29. It actually, you go, well, it all started with Jesus Christ. Yeah, it did. But if we're going to talk about the movement, it actually started with a man by the name of John the Baptist. That's where our story begins. John chapter 1, verse 29 says this, the next day, he, meaning John the Baptist, saw Jesus walking towards him, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know fully who he was, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John the Baptist bore witness saying, I saw the Holy Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know the full reality of who he was, but he, God, who sent me to baptize with water, had told me, he on whom you see the Holy Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen it, I borne witness that this is the Son of God. That is the launch of Christianity. You have one man wholly convinced that is now talking about the concept 
that the Messiah has come. Now, it's intriguing because anytime God saves someone as the first among their group, let's say you're the first in your family, say you're the first among your friends. Let's say you are the first among your area. God does extra laying of foundation and prep. He gives you extra special interaction with him. He draws closer to you. Why? Because you got no one to bounce it off of. It's just you and God. There's no one to back you up. There's no one to figure it out with. It's just you, so he comes in very close. If you're not the first one, he tends to remain a little more distant, why? Because you have a living testimony near you all the time. We're supposed to do Christianity together. We're supposed to be communities, right? Well, John was severely prepped. It was not like one day he suddenly came upon the idea that Jesus was the Messiah. John was ultimately notified by God about the Messiah in the womb. Anybody remember that story? So Elizabeth, his mom, who was married to his dad, who was a priest, so super religious household. Elizabeth, his mom, ends up inviting over who, but it's Mary comes to stay with her. While she's pregnant, John the Baptist jumps in her womb because Jesus just came in in utero and boom, filled with the spirit inside the womb. He was marked out by his parents to have a lifelong Nazarite vow. Y'all remember the whole Samson thing? Can't cut your hair, can't drink wine, can't do that, right? John was under a lifelong Nazarite vow. Every day of his life, he was told, you're going to bring in the Messiah. You're going to bring in the Messiah. You're going to bring in the Messiah. As a matter of fact, an angel visited his dad and gave him prophecies about this boy. Now, John was old school. Y'all know those people that are just old souls? They're like five years old and they act like a 65-year-old person. You know what I'm saying? John was one of those. He looked like an Old Testament guy. He wore a coat of hair with a big belt like Elijah did. He ate locusts and wild honey. He was supposed to be a visual representation of the Old Testament. For 400 years, God had been silent, not talking to his prophets. And all of a sudden, boom, here comes a prophet looking old school and he's got a message. The Messiah's coming. The Messiah's coming. The Messiah's coming. That's John the Baptist. God loaded him in a lot. And then one day he's baptizing and he's baptized hundreds of people. And you got to imagine everyone he baptizes, he's wondering if they're the Messiah, right? Because what was the sign? The sign was when you see the Holy Spirit come down and stay on him, you know, that's the guy. Well, you got to imagine every person he baptized, he was like, huh? What about this one? Huh? 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 Right, right. Ah, shoot. Right? And then he just kind of shoved that person out of the way. Next. Right, you know. Huh? Maybe now? No, dang it. Okay. Now, if I think he should have cut to the chase. If I was John the Baptist, I, and I knew that they simply had to get wet to reveal the Holy Spirit, I would have had a squirt bottle. I would just start shooting everyone walking around town and see if they were the Messiah. But anyway, I'm not John the Baptist, praise God. One day, a man that he knows his character, a man that he may well be related to, a man that he doesn't know the depth of him, but he knows there's something different about that guy. Jesus walks up. He'd been baptizing all day long, and here comes Jesus, and he walks into the water, and this is where John starts getting nervous. He's thinking, oh my goodness, I wondered, I wondered. He is. I bet you this is the guy. 
And when he gets in the water, he comes up to him and John the Baptist is going, hey, if you are who I think you are, we have our roles reversed, <laughs> right? If you're the Messiah, you need to be dunking me. I don't need to be dunking you. And Jesus goes, I get you. However, this fulfills some prophecy stuff. So are you with me? Yeah, 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 I'm with you. Okay, so you're gonna lower me down, right? Yes, sir. And you're gonna bring me back up, right? <laughs> yes, sir, I won't forget. Okay, good. He baptizes, he lowers him out. As he comes up out of the water, here comes the Holy Spirit coming down out of heaven to land upon him. Now, can I be very clear on something? The Holy Spirit did not come down as a bird, right? I mean, we have all these pictures. Oh, he came down as a dove. No, he didn't. He came down like a dove, meaning gentle. It wasn't like he was like, Ca coming down, like comes in, right? It's a turkey vulture lands on him, you know? It's, that's not what happened. It means that the Holy Spirit came down gentle, landed upon him, and then didn't go anywhere. Now, that's a big deal because John the Baptist is Old Testament-minded. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come down for only a time and then leave. That's why King David wrote the psalm that we used to sing in the 80s wrongly in the song where we said, don't take thy Holy Spirit from me, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Y'all remember that song? Bogus theology, right? Why? Because that was all before Pentecost. After Pentecost, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. He comes and remains. That's the phrase. He tabernacles with you. He lives with you. So we live in a whole different reality. But he was old school and Pentecost hadn't hit yet. So he knows the Holy Spirit may come upon and then disappear but he came in and locked in. And John goes, this is the guy. All of a sudden the voice comes from heaven what, and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And he goes, I knew it. And Christianity starts launching. But you may not know this part of the story. Did you know that in the last days of John the Baptist's life, he did not know they were gonna be his last days. He was in prison, but he had an inkling it wasn't going well. And y'all remember why he was in there? Because he couldn't keep his mouth shut, right? The leader of the day was doing something wrong. And John's like, I am not sitting here and letting that go. So he shouts out publicly, dude, incest is always a bad idea. Completely irritates the whole household. It triggers this whole thing where ultimately he'll be beheaded. But he's in jail and he says this to his followers because he had a bunch of disciples. John goes, hey, can you go check with Jesus and make sure he's really the one? You're like, what? Why would he do that? I mean, this guy's whole life has been prepared for this. And then what? He sees the Holy Spirit bodily coming down. Are you kidding me? I mean, he sees, he hears the voice of God and he's still doubting? Because isn't that what we think? Man, if we had a miracle like that, dude, if I saw the Holy Spirit descend on somebody, if I heard a voice from heaven, dude, I'd be in all the time. I would know for sure, would you? You have an amazing ability when you're human to forget. I want you to write this down if you take notes. Everyone needs to struggle to own their faith. Everyone needs to struggle to own their faith, including John the Baptist. So he sends his guys out and he says, can you go double check for me? I'm not sure I'm gonna make it out of here and I wanna know that I did the right thing. So they go over to Jesus and they're like, hey, real quick, we're from John's team, right. So are you the one that he was waiting for? He just needs to make sure. And Jesus said, hold on a second, and continues his ministry. And what does he do? He lives out the kingdom of God right in front of them. What does that mean? He starts healing people, casting out demons, bringing refreshment, transforming lives. He does it all in front of them, wraps up and goes, tell John that. 
They go back, yeah, he's legit. And he's like, good, I thought so. Okay, great. But everyone needs to own their faith. And if you go, I'm the only one in church that's doubting. I'm the only one that's struggling. I'm the only one that wonders whether or not I'm making it all up in my head. No, you're not. You're just human. We're all doing it. It just depends on what day you ask us, right? And I don't believe that makes you a bad Christian. I believe that makes you a real Christian. Why? Because you're owning it. You're owning it. You're owning it. Every time you're always asking, Lord, I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. Because if you're wholly convinced, you'll live a different life. So I really want to encourage you, cut yourself some slack. We all go through ups and downs. We all go through seasons. But you know what? We're doing our best. We're just human. God's got us. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, John was never flashy. He never did miracles, but he was a prophet of God. But man, he still had to struggle just like everybody else. Pick it up in verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, his followers, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw him following or stalking and he said to him, what are you, what are you doing? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you going? And he said, well, you can come and you can see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about the 10th hour or 4 p.m. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, Andrew's going to become an apostle. He's going to become one of the followers. Did you see it? Evangelism just happened. You see, we don't, we don't link this to evangelism. We think that evangelism means that you have to awkwardly start an awkward conversation and then irritate the person you're talking to. That is not appropriate, right? That is not true evangelism. True evangelism is just being you. Did Jesus rescue you? Is he not the love of your life? Cool. It should be the most natural thing in the world to talk about him. You would actually have to hide him. That would be unnatural. But notice what just happened here. This is what's interesting. John said something. John didn't just know that he was the Messiah. He actually told someone he was the Messiah. He could have kept it to himself. A lot of us have this weird attitude of, well, my faith is personal. It's between me and God. What a selfish thing to say that you have the key to life, but you're not going to share it with anybody? Oh, it's cool. If they all go to hell, I'm good. That's weird, right? It doesn't make any sense. So you do want to be out loud about it because other people need to know where the truth is. So he opened up his mouth and he said, hey guys, if you want to know what's really legit, he's right there. I'm not it. I know you've been following me and that's super cool. But if you really want to know the real deal, he's right there. When you share Jesus, it requires some humility and it requires what? Some type of security in your own heart because when you share Jesus, they're going to realize he's a bigger deal than you are. Write this down if you take notes. Living for the Lord will cost you. Living for the Lord will cost you. Do you realize that at that moment when John opened up his mouth and said, there's the real deal, he lost two followers. Rabbis were supported by their followers. He took a financial hit. He took a fame hit. He took everything. Why? Because once you start telling people that you're not the big deal, but Jesus is the big deal, people tend to not follow you as much. You guys, I struggle with this a lot. Why? Because I'm up here talking about God, and ultimately I'm trying to impress you, 
and impact you. But what's the problem with that? If you're left only being impressed or impacted by me and my message and not seeing the Jesus through me who I'm talking about, I failed. That's not right. It's unacceptable. If you stop with me, game over. It has to go through me into the one that matters, right? And so what happens is sometimes we're the one and it's the friend out there that, that we love the identity that people come to us when they're weak and, and they love the strength that we have in Jesus and we like the idea that we're the answer person and all that. Do you understand? They can't stop with you. You need to let them know, hey, you don't actually need me. You can pray on your own. You can read the Bible on your own. Like, I'm not your key to getting to God. You need to go direct, and I am not your gateway. Jesus Christ is your everything, right? Now, that's going to cost you. It's just right. Amen? Amen. Now, when I say that it's going to cost you, let me be real clear on what I mean. You always get more right? Because Christianity is built on the overflowing principle. The overflowing principle is this. The only reason God brings commands or demands that everybody goes, oh, they're really, really hard. The only reason he does those is because he already filled you up to overflowing first. For example, he says, what? Forgive those who have hurt you. Why would he say that? Because he's forgiven you so much that he filled you up to overflowing, and so it should be natural to give some of the overflow away to somebody else. Literally, he forgave you not only of your past sins, but your present sins and all the sins of the future. You're now in a state of perpetual forgiveness, and so he goes, you might need to dish some of that out to some other people too, right? He says, love your enemies. Why would he command that? Because he's filled you up with so much love, you're overflowing with it in your identity, and it's easy to love someone else. When he says, I want you to be patient with people, it's because how much patience has he demonstrated towards you while you and I are being yahoos, right? Christianity is an overflowing principle. He's not putting a demand on you ever to scrounge something up, make something up, try to fake it. That's not how Christianity works. Christianity is always, I already gave it to you in droves. Just use some of that. That's how Christianity works. Now, these two guys followed, two grown men followed another guy and left their dude. Now, who was that other guy? We have Andrew. Who is the other guy? Nobody knows. We'll call him Carl. <laughs> Andrew and Carl followed the Lord. They had to get close and figure it out for themselves. John's words could only take them so far. But why did they leave? Because they trusted John. If John says he's real, he's probably worth examining. You guys, when you open up your mouth and you say that Jesus is real, that gives a legitimacy if your life is legitimate, right? All right, let's keep moving forward. Write this down if you take notes. Personal recommendation from a trusted source is everything. Personal recommendation from a trusted source is everything, especially these days. There are some of you that won't even go to dinner without checking Yelp. You guys know the app, right? It's like, well, did anyone else say the burritos were good? Right? You can't watch a movie without it being rated high on Rotten Tomatoes, right? 
And then what? There's Angie's List. Well, I don't know if it's a legit contractor. Let's check what everyone else said. You can't buy a book on Amazon unless what? You check the reviews. Because once you look at the reviews, collectively, it makes it legitimized. Okay, you think it's different with relationships and Christianity? I mean, the only way they're going to they're gonna trust it, they have so much bombardment with all these different faiths and all these different beliefs and humanism and materialism. It's bombarding them. They need someone to help them cut through all the garbage and tell them what's real. If we don't open our mouths, they're left swimming in a sea of opinions. Y'all following me? All right, let's keep moving forward. So sure enough, they follow him and they chose to follow Jesus and not John anymore. You guys, we cannot follow something that is not true. So if you are searching for the truth and you find the truth, you need to switch allegiances. What I mean by this is that there's some of you that were raised in non-Christian homes and your parents told you there was no God and you were surrounded by the idea that if anyone's gonna take care of you, it's gonna be you. You're in charge of your life, right? Well, let me be very clear. You are the king of your life, right? That's how you were trained. The problem is you're sitting in someone else's seat. At some point, you need to switch allegiances from you to him because King Jesus needs to be on that throne. There's some of you that were raised in other faith streams. You were raised in other sects of Christianity. You were raised in other religions. And all I'm telling you is that if what I'm sharing out of the Bible is true, you need to switch some allegiances and get your ducks in order, right? Do ducks go in line or do ducks go in order? I don't know that phrase. Order? Ducks in order? Okay. Ducks in a row. Ducks in a row. Praise God. Why are we not writing this down? <laughs> So what, is, what does he do? Well, sure enough, John sends him over and then says, hey, you guys, that's the guy. Well, what does Andrew do after he learns that? Verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, well, you're Simon, the son of John, but you're gonna be called the rock. Cephas, which means Peter. What did you see? That's evangelism. Hey, bro, I think we found the Messiah. Really, where? He's over there, go check him out. That was it. That was the total evangelism. Uh, there's a concept in the Bible that we refer to here at Bridgeway called the open door concept that you need to write this down. God needs to meet your friends before you tell them about him, right? What do I mean? There are certain people that God has opened their hearts so when they hear a message, it means something true for them. And there's some people God hasn't worked on yet, right? Why is that important? Because when you go and start sharing your faith, you're gonna find some people that are open to hear the gospel and some people that are simply not. The biblical concept says, although you share broadly with everyone, you follow up on the open door. So for example, somebody at work, they come up and they're like, what is the deal with you? You're like the most positive person I know. Like nothing seems to shut you down. You're always like, oh, ha, ha, right? And I'm like, what is going on, man? I got a hard life. I don't know what's going on with you. So what's the deal with you? And you're like, well, to be honest with you, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And I feel like Jesus has totally changed my life. And they're like, what? Ah, oh, shoot, dude. I thought you had better weed. Like, I, 
Oh, man. Okay, anyway, have a good day. <laughs> and they leave, right? Okay, that's called a closed door, all right? That one didn't go so well. So not every time you share the Lord is it all going to go easy, and, and there's some hiccups along the way. Once again, a no now doesn't mean a no forever. It just means that may have been one time that the Lord began to open their heart. But sometimes the, somebody comes up to you or you're able to share with them, and they said, my, my life is really difficult. Would you pray for me? Do you understand that's an open door? That's where you lean in and you go, yeah, I'd love to tell you about my Jesus. Now, once they open the door, you don't come in and be irritating, right? Be a good guest. Come in gently, tell them what they would like to know, and then back out, right? Gently. Because a lot of people are turned off more by Christians than Christ. Y'all following me? Okay. So, uh, but here's a bigger key for me, is that when Andrew told Peter hey, I think we found the Messiah, he said, go check him out. He didn't just say, let me sit and tell you all about him. Our words only take us so far. Write this down if you take notes. Too much of mainstream Christianity lacks experience and interaction with Christ. Let me say that again. Too much of mainstream Christianity, a lot of the houses we were raised in, lacks experience and interaction with Christ. What is the problem with that? See, what you're supposed to do in true evangelism is you're supposed to share Jesus, introduce them, and then get out of the way. They're supposed to be able to do something with Jesus. Do you have anything they can do? Or have you been trained that everything is about what you know and what you think? Y'all following me? See, Christians today, the majority of us, we're just good at talking. We're not doing anything. So how are you supposed to introduce him and get out of the way if everything comes through your mouth? When do they get to have an experience with God on their own? When do they get to have a chance to see him reveal himself for real to them? Where's the supernatural? Do you remember that Jesus said, believe my words, but if you don't believe them, believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves, meaning I got something to back up what I'm saying. All you're doing is talking. I need something to back it up. Some of us only have the Bible. The Bible's just more words unless you're willing to let it supernaturally be what it was designed to be right? Where the Holy Spirit opens it up and gives you radical revelation. But most of us aren't willing to do that. We just have more words in writing. Now, I'll tell you one tool on your belt that you all have right here, right now, because you've been at Bridgeway, is the power of prayer. Prayer is supernatural. You're saying that somebody can talk to an invisible God, their creator, and that he will change all of nature and supernature on their behalf. And then he literally does it. Okay, put that one in your tool belt. But we need to live into more of the kingdom. There's more stuff. Every time they brought someone to Jesus, he had an encounter with them. He gives Peter what? A word of knowledge. Dude, you're going to become the rock. Everybody laughed at that. Peter was a mess. And it took a long time to be fulfilled, but Jesus got to tell him something miraculous. Jesus did something there. All right, let's keep moving on. I believe very strongly, I'll just say this, that our focus, we need to be scripture-soaked, but man, we need to be spirit-led. There better be something else going on in our world. There better be some supernatural stuff going on if you call yourself a Christian and you believe in a supernatural God. Where's the evidence? Amen? Amen. All right. 
Praise God. All right, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found a guy named Philip, and he said to him, follow me. So Philip, who was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found his buddy Nathaniel, said to him, well, we found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, a guy named Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said, what? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, well, I don't know, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said, Well, how do you know me? Jesus said, Before Philip called you, yeah, remember when you were under the fig tree? I already saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus said, What, because I told you I saw you under a fig tree, you believe? Oh, man, you're going to see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Do you see the pattern? It's always the same. Someone is convinced, they open up their mouth, they share it with someone else, they don't give them all the facts, they just go, I don't know, go check it out. There you go, ta-da, evangelism. So most of you are actually sharing the Lord way more than you think you are. I just would like you to do it with intentionality because when you share them and lead them to Jesus and you back off, they then have this crazy encounter. But notice not everybody is an automatic yes. Nathaniel was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What did you just say? The Messiah's from where? Not, no, he ain't. He is not from Nazareth. Nazareth is stupid. Those people are like backwoods. I don't know what's going on with those people, but he's not from there. And notice what he said. I don't know, man. Just go see for yourself. Okay. Most of us are afraid we don't have all the answers, right? That's why we don't share our faith. What if somebody asks us something? What if they ask us about the dinosaurs? <laughs> Where'd the dinosaurs come from? You're like, shoot, I don't know. Okay, so we're gonna practice the Bridgeway mantra, okay? Bridgeway mantra, it's three words. We all have to memorize these, burn them into our heart, we'll be better evangelists. You ready to do this? I'm gonna say it first and then you're gonna say it along with me. I don't know. Here we go. Ready, all of us? Ready? I don't know. There you go. Put that in your back pocket. It relieves a lot of pressure. Okay, here's what you do. You go and you said, man, I, I became a Christian. You did? Whoa, what happened? Well, I had this, like, this experience with God. God, really? Well, 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 how exactly did you do that? Yeah, I don't know, dude, but it was real. There you go. Ta-da! And then... Then you minister to somebody and you're like, man, I've been praying for you a lot. You've been praying for me? What does that mean? Well, I've been talking to God about you. You can talk to God? Yeah, how does that work? I don't know, but I do it all the time. Man, I believe that Jesus Christ, do you think he's the only way? Yeah, I do. How can he be the only way? I, I don't know, but anyway, I know he is. It is the most useful phrase. I'm just telling you, just relieves all that pressure right there. Because notice, no one in here was arguing apologetics. No one, because the minute you start an, an argument process, they get into an argument loop and it creates a resistant mindset. And then you can't get them out of that because once you answer the dinosaur question, now they got another question. And then you answer that question, they got another question. And we're never gonna get out of that because you train them to be in opposition. Can you just start out and go, Jesus changed my life? Really, how do you do that? I have no idea, but it's awesome. You gotta go figure it out for yourself. It's okay to hand them over to Jesus. He's the one you're trying to introduce them to anyway. Some of us try to hold them way too close. I'm gonna be your Jesus. No, you're not. Get out of the way, right? Jesus can be his Jesus, all right. Um, the other thing that I wanna highlight out for you is notice that Nathaniel had that hiccup with the Nazareth thing. 
When you share Jesus with somebody, they bring in all their preconceived ideas and there's a hiccup. So sometimes they think, whoa, 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 you're a Christian, those people are weird, right? They might be right, but they have a negative connotation to that. They may say, wait, you go to church? You want me to go to church with you? Uh, where do they stand politically? Boom, you're automatically in a challenge, right? Because now we got off track. When you share the Lord, everything that they have had in their brain up to that point is gonna come into play there, and a lot of it's not always positive. So it's okay to be able to say, I don't have all the answers for you, but I'd love to invite you. If you wanna come and check them out, cool. If you don't, I'm gonna love you anyway, right? That's who we are as Christians. We're just being who we are. We don't need to be anything fake. Why did Nathaniel go if he had a problem? Because Philip said it was worth it. A trusted friend, if they tell you, then it's worth it. All right, as we wrap this up, let me just give you a couple concepts to close out with. You cannot impart what you do not possess. You cannot share a vibrant relationship with Jesus if you don't have a vibrant relationship with Jesus, right? Second thing is, your lifestyle needs to be trustworthy or they're not gonna listen to a word you said, right? You gotta live out loud before you talk out loud. Y'all following me? Um, because there's a lot of Christians that know Bible trivia and they're talking, but nobody wants to be like them. The person should see something winsome in your spirit, something winsome in your life to be able to go, yeah, if Jesus made you like that, I'm in. But if they look and they go, oh, Jesus made you cynical and nasty and mean and removed and critical and judgmental, they don't want any part of that. It doesn't matter what you think you know, right? So we gotta cut ourselves a little bit of slack, but at the same time, we do have to actually believe it. And you do actually have to live it for anyone to listen to the words that you say. All right. Correct one last view. You do not need to become a preacher or a pastor. Just be you. Share your story. You know your story. That's not hard. And any gaps, that's for God to fill in. Okay? Um, and we believe here at Bridgeway in the blessed concept. We believe that relationships are the best way of evangelism. So we believe the blessed concept. What is that? Begin with prayer. Listen deeply. Eat a meal with them. Serve them and then share your story or share the story of Jesus. That's the concept. There's nothing scary about that whole entire process. Remember, sharing the Lord should be the most natural thing in the entire world. But because we believe in beginning with prayer, we're gonna take out and take a look at those names on the sheet that you wrote down. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Will you commit to pray for those names once a week until the end of the year? You know how many times that is? 20. That's it. I'm putting the bar really low, right? The, nobody can go, oh my gosh, I can't possibly pray once a week. Pray over those names once a week and just watch what God does. Because any possible transformation of a life begins with prayer first, that God starts working on them and watch him begin to change their lives. If God tells you to step in and be a part of it, great. If not, keep your distance. Let him do what he does, right? Begin with prayer, listen deeply, eat a meal with them, serve them, and share your story. All right, can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close out? What I wanna do is I wanna pray over that list before we go.
what you've already written down. The altar is open for any types of prayer needs that you have. And once again, we're going to be talking about living into the kingdom, allowing the kingdom to be the new reality that we live in. That starts next week. You got to be here. We'll find room for you. Bring everybody that you know we need to be here. And then uh, finally, the last two things, we're going to do Ask Pastor Lance right after this message uh, at about uh, 1245. Uh, if you want to look at it online, we'll have that as well. But if you're brand new, welcome. If you're brand new to Bridgeway, take that welcome card that we gave you. And I want you to take it out to the Welcome Center right here at the front door. You got some smiley people there that have a gift for you. All right? I'm so glad that you're here at Bridgeway. Everyone, I love you. Let's pray. Yeah? Heavenly Father, we wrote these names down as a testimony of saying, God, this is the one. This is the name that I would love to see rescued. God, you want them to be saved more than we do. You're the one that brought their names to mind. Would you keep adding to that list the names of the people that you are working on? That, Father, whether they are open right now or not, that at some point your love would overwhelm them, they would be rescued, and their lives would become bright and brilliant and cleansed and refreshed and joyful. Father, would you shower your love upon each and every name on that list or bring them to a place of dependence upon you? God, we care about them so deeply because you taught us to. May they be transformed in the name of Jesus. Amen.